And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm glad you could join us today. It is estimated that a staggering 1.6 million people in the United States suffer with the painful and often debilitating condition known as Crohn's disease. Most commonly affecting the small intestine near the colon, Crohn's can affect any part of the gastrointestinal tract, top to bottom. While an exact cause of a sudden onset is hard to determine, most scientists can agree that the condition is triggered by either a virus, a bacterial infection, or environmental contaminant, which leads to an autoimmune response followed by inflammation. Although there's no known cure, doctors often treat symptoms with surgery or prescription drugs, including opiates, corticosteroids, benzodiazepines, and immunomodulators, which suppress the immune system and open up the door for other serious complications. A growing number of Crohn's patients are finding cannabis to be more effective than conventional drugs when it comes to all-around improvement, but the jury is still out among gastroenterologists who rely upon science to inform their recommendations. To be fair, scientific evidence legitimizing the use of cannabis therapy as a Crohn's disease treatment option is limited. Since 1999, there have only been a handful of clinical studies researching the efficacy of cannabis as a treatment modality. And while the more recent studies show promise, none have been conclusive due to study deficiencies including inconsistent controls, subpar cannabis, insufficient duration of time, and limited number of participants. But despite the lack of clinical proof, there is no shortage of anecdotal evidence that Crohn's patients who forego conventional treatment in favor of a more holistic approach using a blend of dietary improvements and cannabis therapy are finding relief where prescription drugs have failed. Considering that cannabis feeds the endocannabinoid system, which modulates inflammation and immune responses, and brings the entire body into homeostasis, it makes sense that cannabis is working. That's the topic of today's show, and I have two long-term Crohn's disease patients who rely upon the healing power of cannabis to keep their disease in remission. Later in the show, I'll be introducing naturopathic physician, Dr. Carmel Ferreira, but first let me introduce Josh Feld. He's a 30-year-old assistant golf pro who was diagnosed with Crohn's after several misdiagnoses when he was a teenager. For nearly a decade, he was severely underweight, throwing up every morning and taking 12 pills a day. It wasn't until he went to college that he accidentally learned that cannabis helps to stimulate his appetite and reduce the pain. It took nearly two years of experimentation for him to learn about dosing and the best method of taking it for his condition. The experience actually inspired him to start coaching other patients about the right way to use medical marijuana to improve their quality of life. Oh, Josh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your being here. Uh, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. What you've been going through, I mean, 
it's been what 16 years since you were first diagnosed with Crohn's. Is that correct? It's actually been almost 20 years since I've been. I was misdiagnosed at age 11, uh-huh. but I had my surgery at 17, so it'd be about 14, 15 years. Wow, that's a long time to be suffering with Crohn's disease. Can you just describe a little bit about what you go through as a Crohn's patient? Well, Crohn's disease is different in every everybody. It goes from a hole to hole. My problem is I'm normally nauseous and throw up a lot. So having an appetite and just being not nauseous is just a big thing to my day. So when you were first diagnosed, what did the doctors tell you you needed to do to control it? You mean at age 11 or age 17? Well, okay, let's start with age 11, because I'm assuming that they thought it was something else and probably gave you a whole host of pharmaceuticals. Is that right? Yes. At age 11, I was pumped full of steroids. They put me on acicol and they put me on prednisone. And let me tell you, I believe prednisone is the devil drug. And if you can't, if you don't want to take it, you shouldn't take it. It does a lot of good things and a lot of bad things also. Such as aggression. Yes, aggression, sweats for me, my heart races. It does give me an appetite. So I was able to eat and gain weight. So there was a positive, but it does play with your mind and body. Of course. And then you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease several years later. So what happened when you received that diagnosis? What did they tell you you needed to do? Well, several years later, I had severe back pain. I went to the hospital and I spent 10 days there. And when I was there, they found a 330cc abscess in my back. And they removed it out of me and sent me home with no answers. Three months later, I went back in the hospital for back pain, and that's when I had emergency surgery. They gave me a bowel reconstruction where they took six inches of my small intestine and half my colon out. That's got to be traumatic. Yes. Then from there, they taught me a new diet and gave me some medication, and I headed on to my freshman year of college. What kind of medicine were you taking? Okay, so once I took got my re- bowel reconstruction, they put me on Pentaza. When you figured out that cannabis could help you, walk me through that a little bit. Well. I was kind of just a normal college kid, you know, in the frat, just uh, partying all I could. I really didn't take care of my body too well, and I threw up a lot. And that was probably because of a little bit of drinking, but I still didn't gain weight or feel any better. And then the first time I smoked uh, marijuana with some friends, you know, the first time I ever cleaned my plate, I was very happy about that. You know, everyone tells you about the munchies, like it's a bad thing. Well, the munchies for a guy with Crohn's disease is, is the best thing. And what about the cramping and any pain that you might have had before? Did it? Did you notice like right away that it would go away? Uh, yes, it, right away with using cannabis, it helps with the nausea very much so. So even if it wouldn't give me, give me an appetite, it would take the nausea away. And if I had a flare up and was in pain, it made it more comfortable for me to lay down and get some rest. So obviously, you learned about it by accident. In other words, that well, cannabis. That, would help. Well, not really. Because through the grapevine, I always heard that cannabis helps Crohn's disease and was always curious. So then I figured I could try it. But then when you started getting serious about it, tell me what happened. And because I'm sure that there are people listening who are being given all kinds of medication for Crohn's disease. I happen to know a couple. For one reason, they're not living in a state that allows it. But Walk me through how you really got serious about this as a medical course of action. I was very sick. I went to the hospital. The hospital looked at me. The doctor came to me and said, you have Crohn's disease and kicked me out. And then on top of it, I got dropped from my insurance. 
So then I'm a man with no insurance and no one will look at me. And knowing that I don't look sick, I have an invisible disease, I have to figure out how to take care of myself. After college and the partying stopped, I did throw up every single morning and that was disconcerting. So we had to work on the medicine and I worked in exercise. So then I started to use some of the waxes and I found out they're stronger and I got an appetite faster. The pain went away quicker and the nausea went away. So with that, I've changed from flour to concentrate. And then my friend showed me some cannabis oil. I've never taken cannabis oil that way. And I took it. I felt good. And then I decided to take it right before I went to bed. And I woke up hungry. Did not have to use any cannabis to smoke or anything. So right there, I was sold. I was Now I have my diet, my exercise, and now the cannabis oil. And I couldn't be any healthier. So... What was the ratio of THC to CBD? It was two to one, and it was around 84% THC. Right, and, and you use that at night? I now use it twice a day. I use it in the morning when I wake up, and I use it at the evening before I go to bed. You know, I'm asking you these questions because there are so many people out there who haven't directly tried different dosing, and they haven't really gone through the experimental phase. And there are a lot of people who are not a fan of the euphoria that comes along with THC and to try to experiment to see what works so that they can still function during the day and sleep at night. It's got to be sort of a challenge, especially when you have something that there's no known cure for. So as you were experimenting with this, I mean, did you have anybody who was helping you figure out what dosing to take and who could walk you through this? Or were you just sort of relying on people in the dispensaries to explain it to you? No, I did not depend on anyone in dispensaries. I would ask them questions to see if I could benefit from a little bit of their knowledge. But I had a friend who was very knowledgeable in the cannabis, and he got me into the oil and explain to me what it does. And I really haven't changed since I saw positive results. You know, obviously you haven't really been seeing a doctor regularly these days because you feel much better. But when you first started taking cannabis, were you getting any consternation from your doctors? Since I've been taking it and he's seen positive results, my doctor likes to, but it's a, it's a gray area right now. That's the issue. It's just a gray area. He supports it because through our colonoscopies that are two years apart, you can see significant improvement. So going to see the doctor every two months, and then I went to see him every four months, and now I see him every six months now. You know, I'm curious, too, when they took the images, how would the Crohn's disease manifest on an image like that? And then when you said there was a drastic difference, explain that to me a little bit. Yes, I'm not a medical profession, but there's fistulas in the intestines, which is basically little holes. And just to the normal eye, you can see that it's not a normal intestine. There's a little damage to it in the color. And in the new pictures, you can see that the color is very nice. There's less holes and less fistulas. So it doesn't even take a medical profession to see the two pictures, how it's improved. And just the fact how I feel. Well, how you feel (laughs) says it all. And when you and I first spoke about this, and the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is because of that sort of drastic difference in your own health. And I think it is instructive for people to know and understand that this is a very, it's a very personal thing when you're going through something like this and to have those experiences where you actually can physically feel and see the difference like this 
it really does make such a huge difference in people's lives. And I know that you're also very interested in coaching people. Tell me some of the experiences you've had coaching people that you've been working with who have actually found some healing. Uh, yeah, I believe when you go to a dispensary, I don't know many people have the same experience I do. I believe they're mostly selling you a product. They're not asking you how you feel. So when you go there, the first question should be, what do you medicate for and how do you medicate? Not we have, you know, $99 ounces, like that should not happen. And I always thought to myself, what if my grandma or my mom came to the dispensary? Would they know even what to do in this place? And even when I'm in some of these dispensaries, they show me 60 different shatters. What am I supposed to choose and what's the difference? I just believe there's undereducation and people need to take it a little bit more serious when it comes to the medical part of cannabis. So I normally have like a three-step coaching program with my students where the first step we talk about their symptoms and the medications they're currently taking. And after we educate them with the uh, cannabis and the various ways you can take the medication, we talk to them and see how that can go into their daily lives. So that's day one. Step two, we take the patients with their education to the dispensaries that are near them. So we accompany them, make them more comfortable and walk them around and sign them up and get them all ready to do their purchasing. The third one, after we buy the product, we go to their place, they use the medical marijuana and the coach stays there as long as the patient feels that they're comfortable with it. Yeah, and not all dispensaries have people who are educated enough to really walk you through any of those things. And that was one of the biggest complaints that I've heard from people who are just getting started on cannabis therapy, no matter how they're treating themselves or which conditions they have, the biggest complaint that I've heard from patients is exactly that. They walk into the dispensary, they feel a little bit lost, especially if they haven't had much experience. It also stays with the stigma, too, because they say the word high. We're not trying to get people high. When I'm coaching them, we're trying to get them healthy. So they bring the stigma because the guy shows up with his long hair and the tattoos. So right there, they're kind of off-put already because it just reminds them of everything else. They also, some dispensaries sell deli style which I don't know what medical benefit deli style could be because the patient can pick out the buds. I don't know any patients that are educated to tell me what bud's better than what other bud is. Something going back to the college days where their buddy, you know, skinny Vinny showed them some nugs under a dorm room light and they know what's good and what's bad. I think that that's off-putting to anyone walking in. Well, certainly it would be a little bit intimidating for someone who's not, not an experienced user, you know? And yeah. It's also off-putting, you know, you don't walk up to a pharmacy and, and, and see someone asking what kind of Vicodins you want to take, or they don't say that because it's medical. I think you're absolutely right that it's not doing those patients any favors to present the medicine that way. And, you know, someone who's in their 70s who wants to get off of all the medication they've been given, you know, they're not going to want to talk to someone who's just show them a jar of buds. Yeah, he doesn't want to show up to a guy who he thinks is Cheech and Chong, like, and he walks into the place and the guy's like, so this can get you pretty high. A baby boomer's probably going to just be like, I was right. Yeah, well, it is really helpful to walk people through some of the pitfalls and help them figure out which medicine is best for them. And in recent years, I think that people have been so much more open to cannabis as a legitimate medicine. And so 
whenever I talk to a patient like you who've been diagnosed with something that was really debilitating, been on the pharmaceuticals, come out the other side, experimenting with cannabis to start with, and then suddenly coming into your own with your doses and getting to that point where you feel absolutely great, it, I think it's important for people to hear that that does happen because sometimes it just seems so unbelievable to people that something that was stigmatized for so long could actually really have that big of an impact on health. I was the same way. I thought for, you know, 18, 20 years of my life that it was bad. It was a bad drug and everything. But once I took it and I got to see the benefit of how it helped me personally, I was all in. But again, just people just have to see the benefit for themselves and they'll be in. As an athlete, too, because, I mean, you work out a lot, play golf a lot, I'm sure. Have you felt as though it's actually helped with your sports? Well, just being healthy in general and being able to eat the right foods and feel healthy makes you just a better player in anything. If you can, if I'm not nauseous when I'm setting up to the ball, I'm doing great. So it got me to eat, got me to be stronger, let me work out more, let me, you know, work harder. It just make me feel like I'm on even playing ground with everyone instead of being behind because I'm nauseous or I feel weak. So it's just been a huge game changer. Yeah. Give me an example of like one of the biggest success stories of, of working with someone. I had a gentleman, what was he, about 45 years old, never used medical marijuana in his life, always thought it was a Grateful Dead thing. He wrote to me after. And after a while with all his pains and he heard from my brother how good I was doing, he, he asked me what he could do. And I know he was a little scared of the THC and thinking he was going to be all psychedelic. So we started him out with a bath salt that have a little THC in there. So I said, before you go to bed, why don't you take a 20-minute bath with this salt and see how you feel and see how it reacts to you. So that night he took a bath and he went to bed and he goes, you know, I felt great. I never thought I'd feel that way from the marijuana. I thought I'd be all daisy and eating. So with that, he was onto it and loved the bath because it took away all his aches and pains of his body. And then we figured he can't take a bath every time that he has all these aches and pains. So I, I got him some creams, some muscle creams. And with different variations of the creams and different strengths, we found out which um, creams work best for him. And that's from a guy who thought it was Grateful Dead, listened to music, and, and eat Cheetos all day. That is such a funny way to describe it, too. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> that's it. I literally saved a text message from him that he said. He goes, hey, I always thought, but I, I am a believer now. That's a great text message I had to save. He thought he was gonna take funny. he was gonna take medical marijuana, take some Cheetos, sit in a beanbag chair, and just see colors. That's what he thought was gonna happen. <laughs> Once they can get out of that frame of mind and realize exactly what this is doing for their health, I think that it's gotta be much better than that. And it's the only medicine like with the edibles, you always hear the person say, Hey, I took a little bit of edible, it didn't work for an hour, so I ate the whole thing. And then there were blotto. I've never heard anyone say, hey, I took one Vicodin. It wasn't really, I wasn't feeling it. So I took the whole bottle. Well, the way cannabis works so naturally with your body, it seems counterintuitive that way that when you ingest it, it's not going to have such a rapid effect as would a pill. The pain that comes with Crohn's disease, cannabis obviously helped you with that aspect of it as well, correct? Yes, um, but I am a guy, I didn't really enjoy the way painkillers and opiates made me feel they made my head ring and anything 
mm-hmm. it really didn't take the pain away. And even when your stomach is in that much pain, it is hard to take a pill and keep that kind of strength pill down. So if I can take, you know, a dab or, you know, uh, some cannabis and it can make me relax enough to maybe go to bed, that's, that's all you need. It's just a little relief. Yeah, I can imagine. And so for those who don't know, a dab, it's almost like a wax consistency, like a, like a hard candy kind of that gets melted through heat and it creates a vapor and that is inhaled. I guess that's the best way to describe it. So yes, yes. Uh, well, the way I kind of explain it to my friends who who use flour is, I use that method because it will have higher THC, and the higher THC gives me the munchies that I like to eat and settle my stomach. So that's why I use it that way. Right. Whereas some people who work may not want that, and so they're going to choose something that has a much lower concentration. Yes, I have a higher, I have a high tolerance. I guess I do work still with that. I won't have someone who's starting out do that because they might not be able to work or not have their same frame minor personality. <laughs> yeah, there are some people out there like me. I'm a bit of a lightweight too. And if I have a headache, I actually prefer to do a lower dosage of THC because that way I can function a little bit better and I have a... So that must be something you talk to people about because if they've never used cannabis before, they're not going to have as high a tolerance it also has to deal with their age and how big they are, their body fat. You have to also put that in consideration. And, you know, CBDs are the new thing and everyone loves CBDs. But if you're having a guy or a patient that takes a bunch of opiates and he thinks he's going to take CBD to take away his pain, the CBDs will help over time, but he'll probably need a little THC to give him that kick that he gets from his opiates. Well, yeah, I mean, for the pain, absolutely. You know, although it depends on where it's coming from and also whether or not the need to take the opiates is actually that built up tolerance and addiction over time as well. Yeah, that is true. Miraculously, even CBD has a, a wonderful way of working with the body to reduce the craving for opiates, which is one of the reasons it's been so successful to help people end their addiction. And addiction is such an insidious expertise on that. I just know about Crohn's disease. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's really interesting to hear your perspective though, as the patient who has come off of the drugs that were prescribed and coming out the other side. Yes. I want to go back to the imaging being able to see that yourself must've been so eye opening and instructive. That would be the colonoscopies. You know, it does show that it does improve your body and inflammation has been great. You know, I don't have my aches and pains like I used to. It just, it helps the overall body. Yeah. And the proof is in the imaging, which is just absolutely remarkable. The science behind this is just so incredible. I believe the science is great, but only in medical marijuana profession, I have to tell a normal person, how these oils are broken down, the cannabinoids and everything, yet a doctor can just tell them, hey, there's a new pill, and they go try it out. Well, therein is the conundrum about medicine in general. That's why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) With cannabis, we have an opportunity to really make it a personalized medicine. It really does lend itself to experimentation because you cannot overdose on it. 
And unlike pharmaceuticals, you can really play with the doses until you find what heals your body the best. You know, in general, I think that it's it's not like it was. I mean, when I first started doing this show, there were so few medical professionals who were really educated about cannabis. I mean, you can have a degree in neuroscience without knowing a thing about cannabis. And, and it's still pretty true today that most doctors are not educated about the endocannabinoid system. And that, I think, is going to be changing drastically in the coming years because, you know, especially when there's just so much science that's growing out of Canada and all of the different states that are now regulating for both medical and adult use cannabis, we're going to start seeing a lot more studies come out. And I think that those studies are just going to prompt a lot more people to become interested in learning how cannabis can help them. And the thing I love, too, about some of the studies that are being conducted out in California, and you're starting to see medical professionals from like UCLA Medical taking this so seriously. And and then there are a lot of doctors who have opened up cannabis practices so that they're now working with patients and documenting how these patients are doing, what doses are most effective for them. And it really is this personalized medicine. So that's the beauty in it. And it is yeah. beautiful. Well, there's just so much for people to learn. And still learning. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is still learning. There's still so much to learn because the science has been oppressed for so long because of prohibition. And those doors are finally starting to open. So I feel very encouraged by that. But, you know, I really appreciate hearing from you the patient's perspective because. I know that there are a lot of people out there who haven't yet taken that leap or they live in places where cannabis has not been regulated yet. It's hard to imagine living in a state that doesn't have any regulation whatsoever. And I think that that will change as we vote as well. One of the projects that I'm working on right now is the list of friends and foes in the upcoming elections. And it really has nothing to do with which party they belong to. It has to do with how they advocate for the change for cannabis, because this is a very critical issue for some patients. People can make their choices based on <laughs> hopefully other issues as well. But yeah, just not the party. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Although some people might find the party more important than the medicine. But anyway, I'll let them make Yeah, it's a whole different topic. But <laughs> anyway, uh, Josh, any last words for patients before we close this down? Remember, you're not getting high, you're getting healthy. And if you have any questions, you can email me at cannabiscoachfeld at gmail.com. And I'll put that information up on the website too. So, Josh, thank you again. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. You're certainly welcome. So, so we need to take a quick pause. And when we come back, I'll be bringing in Dr. Carmel Ferreira, a naturopathic physician and a Crohn's patient. Please stay with us. Snowden Bishop, the Cannabis Reporter. We'll be right back after these. 
Pure CBD is a new and unique fresh tasting spray product which delivers an exact measured amount of the highest grade 100% cannabis oil with each spray. Each tube holds a 30-day supply when used as directed. No smoke, no mess. For discreet use, Pure CBD can be used anywhere. Pure CBD from Zephyr Labs. You're listening to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Welcome back, and once again, thanks for joining us. You've already heard about the therapeutic benefits of using cannabis to address some of the most debilitating symptoms of Crohn's disease from the patient's perspective. For that, you heard from Josh Feld. Now I'd like to take the discussion to another level from the perspective of a patient who also happens to be a naturopathic physician specializing in IBD and Crohn's disease. Dr. Carmel Ferreira was also diagnosed with Crohn's disease as a teenager and learned to control symptoms through diet while she was in medical school. Her symptoms dramatically improved once she began integrating CBD, which only recently became available in the state of Utah where she currently lives. Dr. Ferreira, thank you so much for joining today. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And yeah, you know, um, this is uh, such an insidious disease, Crohn's. Um, and we've been speaking with uh, Josh Feld, who was a patient, and his experiences were, were pretty traumatic for him when I mean, he was diagnosed and going through all these medical issues. And when he finally was diagnosed, he was on all these medicines. The cannabis really helped him. But I wanted to get the perspective from you because you are a doctor and you are a patient, a Crohn's patient. And if you don't mind talking about it, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experiences as a patient before we start talking about the medical aspects of it. So when were you diagnosed and how? I was diagnosed in 2010. And that was actually when I was attending both naturopathic medical school and also um, my master's in acupuncture. Um, I was ex- experiencing, you know, severe anxiety. So I was more your atypical patient. You know, I wasn't emaciated, um, but things obviously still weren't very well with me. And so when I finally started trying to figure out what was going on, because I had seen practitioners and everyone just alluded and said it was because I was in two professional programs and also working part time with an autistic child, they were saying, well, that's what it is. And so there's nothing anymore. It's just stress and anxiety. And I was like, no, I think there's more. And so I started, you know, like I said, digging a little deeper, trying to figure it out. And finally, when, you know, I started trying, you know, diet, because I was already eating clean. If you go to any naturopathic medical school and you walk in, you know, and see what all the students are eating, you find that the majority of them are eating already clean. So it's not a matter of a poor diet. It's not like I was eating a clean diet forever. You know, prior to medical school, I was doing my best. But before then, when I was in my undergrad years, definitely Domino's pizza was part of my diet then. And so I finally, you know, started trying to figure out, okay, well, what else can I do to someone who's already eating clean? And so then that's when I took it upon myself to remove gluten and also dairy because I was thinking, well, you know, if usually anxiety is on that autistic spectrum, or I should say autism is on the anxiety spectrum, then why not see what we can do to remove as much as anxiety as we can? Because 
I know that gluten and dairy just don't really work. Those two proteins don't really work with these type of patients. If anything, it almost acts like heroin in the body. And so then I was like, well, let me go ahead and try to remove that. And then um, at that point in time, I had done colonics and surgery and therapies. And then I went back to another practitioner. I kind of presented my case again and saying, you know, this is what I, you know, hope that we could run as far as diagnostics. And this is why I'm thinking it. And then proceed maybe with getting a referral to a gastroenterologist. And I did. And it was uh, with the EGD and the um, colonoscopy that we had done that allowed me to be diagnosed with Crohn's. And so I recall that after I woke up from the anesthesia, I had a nurse come to my bedside and, and she, was, she looked very concerned and she said, well, you have to take this prescription. And so I was like, well, what's the prescription for? She's like, I can't tell you, I'm not the doctor, but you'll be able to discuss that you know, at your appointment. Um, lo and behold, my appointment got pushed up. So then it kind of went along with what I was thinking. There has to be some kind of diagnosis there. And so I recall being in the waiting room for the gastroenterologist to see him. And I was like, you know, I'm going to ask the receptionist if I can get a copy of my report, my colonoscopy and GD report. And so I did. And while I was waiting in the waiting room, then that's when I was able to read and see that I was diagnosed with Crohn's. So I, when I was my time to go in and see the gastroenterologist, and so he was, you know, just going through the chart, trying to find that report to see what it is that he needed to tell me. And, you know, that's when he like briefly read again. And then he turns to me, he's like, okay, well, you have Crohn's, more of a matter of fact, not really any explanation or any further education. And then he said, these are the prescriptions you're going to be taking. And so he, you know, came out with his prescription uh, pad and then just wrote, out his prescriptions and you know he kind of gave me a went out of the come back and I remember trying to ask him a little bit more about diet because here I am I'm a naturopathic medical student I already you know have a feeling that you know what we could do can be done with diet as well and so he didn't really seem interested in talking any further and I was dismissed and so I remember driving home that day thinking wow, this is exactly what all other patients experience. And so we're going to have to change this. I even see myself as a guinea pig on telling, you know, this is what you're going to be recommending in the future to other patients. So you might as well know it for, for a fact on how this all works. And so that's where I became my first patient and my journey began. And so with the knowledge that I had already gained at school, it still didn't give me enough, so I had to dig a little bit more. And then that's when I started learning more about different diets, such as going grain-free. You know, today, earlier today, I spoke with Jamie Hatfield from Legends Health, you know, at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. And so we're talking about nutrition. And that's where I also had mentioned, you know, the diets that, you know, kind of came forward when I was looking to start my path. On healing and so one of these diets was the specific carbohydrate diet another one was the gut and psychology syndrome diet also known as gaps and then also starting to look at paleo and so I was seeing that all the lobbies in common was just more so grains in itself are very problematic for the gut lining especially when it's trying to heal and so I made it a point to remove all grains Dairy was out the, you know, the window. And in the specific carbohydrate diet and the GAPS diet, both of them do allow 
eggs and dairy, but I couldn't handle either. So I made it a point that I wasn't going to include them in my diet. And then I started looking at all the possibilities of supplements to help heal the gut. Clearly, probiotics are going to be necessary when we're talking about gastrointestinal health. Um, also, omega-3s, because those are your natural anti-inflammatories. And then I had curcumin, quercetin, and then you know, a variety of other things that I thought were just necessary. Glutamine, definitely. And so I just began. And then it was not until about a year and a half on the diet, and you know, I was feeling better. And so I made it a point, went back to the gastroenterologist, made an appointment, and then that's when I asked if we could do another, you know, colonoscopy and AGD just to see the progress of the disease. And so he was not quite ecstatic um, because he had learned that I had not taken any of the prescriptions. And so he was upset. He said, well, why are we going to do an AGD and a, and a colonoscopy if you haven't been compliant to so my and so I told him, well, you know, I understand that you don't think that I haven't been doing anything, but I made drastic changes to my diet and lifestyle. And so we need to see if there, there has been any change. And if there's no change, you know, then I'm more than willing to consider, you know, other things. And so he seemed hesitant, but, you know, he, he was convinced. So we went ahead and proceeded and... I remember, you know, when I woke up from anesthesia, I didn't have a nurse by my side asking me that I needed to take a prescription. So I knew things were probably looking pretty good. And then my appointment wasn't pushed up. And so I was like, all right, that's a good sign. And so when I finally met with the gastroenterologist, it was the same story. He's looking through my chart as I, as I walk in the door. <laughs> and so sure enough, he's saying, well, okay, it looks like all the, the prescriptions that we're doing are working. And I told him once again what, what, what I was doing. And he was really surprised. He yeah. said, wait, what have you been doing? Because there's no sign. The only thing right now that's leading you to a diagnosis of Crohn's is your biopsy. He's like, how was this even possible comparing the, you know, the first report to this one? And yeah. so once again, I told him what I was doing and he was just flabbergasted. He yeah. Just, think it was possible um, that diet in itself and supplements can do that much without a prescription medication. You know, clearly lifestyle is going to be important. Stress, you know, affects the gastrointestinal system significantly. And so anyhow, that's my story kind of condensed. So in, at this point, had you introduced any cannabis oil at all? No, I hadn't. And I kind of wish I would have. But at that time, because, you know, it was... 2010. So things are, are, you know, still now kind of getting lights of cannabis, but it's also about sources. You know, where can I get a reputable botanical, whatever it is that you're utilizing any kind of supplement. And so um, now I kind of wish I, I would have had it because it, I could only have seen that quicker results in just knowing a little bit more about how cannabis works. Right. And then when you did finally introduce cannabis, was it mainly just CBD? Yeah, exactly. And so right now I'll take, take um, CBD um, just to kind of help manage, you know, inflammation, but I've been on remission. And so I haven't really seen much of a problem. You know, I kind of wish I would have been in a state where there was a problem so that I could have reported how much um, it would have changed. It is something I do recommend to my patients aside from just, you know, Crohn's or any kind of IBD or IBS for that matter, 
you know, there is other autoimmune conditions that are usually recommended for, or those cases that are just very chronic and complicated, and it's kind of challenging to kind of get it through. Yeah, and that was leading into my next question, which is, when you are working with Crohn's patients, do you see the results with using cannabis as opposed to other treatment options? And how successful has it been for Crohn's patients that you've seen? But normally, I do see improvement. I do know that cannabis is important and uh, very powerful, but I can't say it's all just cannabis, you know, because oftentimes, like I said, I'm dealing with other aspects of their health as well that, you know, we need to address. Like if it's a hormone imbalance and they have low levels of hormones, I need to go ahead and balance those out and replace them with bioidentical hormones. But it's all, you know, a, a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you had met with Jamie Hadfield over at Legends Health. And for those who weren't with us last week, I actually interviewed her about her own autoimmune issues that she's had for quite some time and her success with cannabis. And in Utah, where you are now, there have been a lot of controversies about the fact that they didn't allow cannabis in Utah for quite, you know, quite some time once people started to learn about it. And now you can get hemp-derived CBD there, which is really helpful for a lot of people. But knowing, as you do, how the multi-spectrum cannabis can work and, and having seen the progress in California. Do you think that it's important for Utah to start integrating whole plant cannabis into their medical cannabis program? I think finding any botanical where we're talking about the whole plant is beneficial because oftentimes if you start isolating things, you know, we're not able to have some type of synergistic effect. Um, right now, the CBD, you know, oil that we're allowed here in Utah, it's hemp derived, you know, there is still great aspects of it. So it allows different aspects of, you know, Crohn's or any kind of IBD to be able to benefit from instance, for some individuals that have altering constipation diarrhea, now we're able to be able to slow down motility or help with motility. And so that is where I find it so beneficial. And so as far as then where Utah is, um, it it's kind of difficult to say just because of the politics here um, that play a, lar a large role, especially with the emphasis of the LDS church also um, playing a role here. That's, you know, a great faith that a lot of people sometimes hear CBD or hear cannabis and they automatically think it's recreational where we forget that there's a medicinal aspect to it that can be very, very beneficial for more than just IBD. Like I had mentioned, it can go from any chronic illness, um, especially those autoimmune conditions. Yeah, it, we talked about that a little bit last week as well. And it, one of the things that I find really fascinating is that this is a natural substance and there's a sacred nature to it, you know, when it relates to the human body. And it's so unfortunate that it's got that stigma that's been so difficult to overcome, especially in places like Utah, um, where there is a very strong church community that does have a lot of influence on people and the way that they vote. And I know that also in other states, like Idaho has been very slow to adopt any change, as has Wyoming and 
uh, Kansas and Missouri, and it's just been really tough to break through those barriers. And that must be very frustrating for you as a naturopath to have to justify a treatment that should be just universally accepted. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm still being hopeful and saying, you know, maybe it's the right time. So sometimes it's all about timing, right? Yes. And so you just have to wait it out and then just know that it will work itself out. And for now, I'm still able to utilize at least hemp-derived CBD, which has a great deal of benefit for my patients. But, yeah. you know, patience is a virtue. And so... <laughs> <laughs> so true. So I wanted to ask you about the drugs that they had prescribed to you that you wound up not using. Prednisone is the one that I could think of at the top of my head because I remember seeing prednisone. I'm like, are you kidding? This is going to just, you know, just suppress my immune system. Right. And talking about autoimmune guess what? Your immune system is what you need. And I can't even recall the others because I was just, I just brushed them off like, I can't believe this is happening. And so I'm not saying that everyone needs to do or follow suit on what I did. I was in a situation that was very unique. I had physicians around me on a daily basis because I was in school. Right. And so, you know, it's not something that I would say, you know, everyone should just go ahead and throw their prescriptions out the window because even though I'm a naturopathic physician, I do feel that there's a time and place for certain prescription medications. It's more of understanding and looking at the whole picture and that's exactly the expertise of the naturopathic physician is to come and bring the whole thing together and then understand what's going on and what's needed for that person at that time. You know, obviously then the idea is to kind of pull some of those medications away that are just no longer needed because your body is able to do fine. And that's where CBD can be so beneficial on making that progress become much more, more expedited. Yeah, that's completely understandable. And as Josh mentioned, the one size fits all medication is just, it's amazing to me. There's a pharmacopoeia that says, okay, this will work for this condition. And if you follow this dosing instruction or whatever, but it's so different for every body. Every person has a unique set of circumstances. And his variation of Crohn's disease was sort of a, a wasting type. It was very difficult for him to consume food. Do you find that pretty common to Crohn's patients? What are some of the other manifestations of this disease. Let's say someone has Crohn's and doesn't know about it yet. What are some of the things that they should look out for if they haven't already been to a gastroenterologist? It's usually a lot of fatigue that comes into play. Definitely malabsorption is going to lead to that. With Crohn's, in my um, situation in particular, mine was found to be where a portion of the uh, small intestine where a lot of B12 is usually absorbed. Definitely a lot of wasting. Anemia is very typical that I'll see with Crohn's patients. Um, and when we're talking about, you know, the ability of eating those enterocytes, those um, cells in the gut and those microvilli where allow all the absorption of nutrients to come through, if those are damaged, then we're missing a ton of other vitamins and, and minerals that are not being absorbed. So usually it's more of a typical wasting that is common in Crohn's. Like I said, I look more like the atypical. Um, anxiety is a huge piece and I tend to see anxiety come up a ton with even you know, individuals that don't have IBD. 
you know, if there's any kind of anxiety, just like, let's be believe there has to be something else going on and I need to figure it out. And food allergies tend to be a case, a typical case, especially with my pediatric patients. So the leaky gut, the hyperpermeable hyper gut um, coming into play. And so those are typical. Yeah. I have spoken to a number of physicians who have made some very significant links between leaky gut and neurological disorders such as autism and the ability for these micro pathogens or micro toxins to enter the blood brain barrier. And just in a layman's terms, I've been sort of putting two and two together. And then also just in observing what a lot of physicians have said about cannabis and how this can not only help with the inflammation, but it can also help protect the cells throughout the body and particularly in the brain from these micropathogens or toxins entering into the brain. And so from a physician's point of view, when you're looking at this, do you make that connection between Crohn's, leaky gut, the inflammation that's caused by that interruption and other conditions such as autism? Autism is, a, is definitely one, but I tend to see a variation of various conditions that come into play when we're talking about leaky gut. Um, but mood, significantly, I'm seeing always a lot of anxiety and depression in my clinic. Um, and most of the time, everyone usually has some kind of intolerance, you know, even though they're not presenting with any kind of IBD. Um, so it's not uncommon. A lot of skin manifestations where we're thinking, oh, a dermatologist would be able to look at that. And I'm sure, you know, you guys probably talked about that when you guys were interviewing Jamie too. Um, so any kind of, uh, you know, skin manifestation is usually also another clue that there is some kind of leaky gut going on. Um, to cause these symptoms to appear. Yeah, and gluten is such a big thing throughout the United States. A lot of people have intolerances or they develop intolerances because there is so much grain in our normal diet. And because 80 or 90% of our grains come from GMO, but with respect to eliminating the grains, obviously you're eliminating some of the GMO problems and the glyphosate do you ever make the connection between glyphosate and Crohn's? Have you ever studied that or made that connection? Well, I can't say that I have looked into it, um, so I wouldn't be able to give a direct answer on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. It's something I'm very curious about. And, But the one thing that I wanted to maybe have you elaborate on is when we make the connection between cannabis and all of these conditions that are originating from the overindulgence of grain in our diets and any kind of gastrointestinal problems, such as leaky gut or inflammation problems in our bodies. Could you, as a physician, make the case that cannabis across the board could help people, and, and I'm asking you this because you are in Utah where they haven't yet legalized whole plant cannabis and where they're working on it. And we have an election coming up. So what would you say from a medical perspective to candidates, whether they're Republican or Democrat or to anyone really who has the power to push legislation along? Cannabis should be allowed, you know, for medicinal purposes. If those individuals that are sitting in Congress they oftentimes forget to put themselves in the shoes of those individuals that live a life in discomfort 
and in pain on a constant basis. And so everyone does need solutions. We're seeing individuals who are able to significantly benefit from it, whereas they can't benefit from drugs that were currently available to them, then shouldn't we have that right to provide them with a life that they deserve? Yeah, I like the way you put that. And have you ever worked with patients who have developed addiction to some of the pharmaceuticals that they've been on? And have you seen improvement through cannabis? Oh, there's definitely a lot of individuals that have been addicted not by their choice, but, but more so that that's all they were given is opioids. And so here we're talking about the opioid um, epidemic, right? And that's yes. the only reason why now I think some of the natural and alternative medicine is coming to limelight because what we have to provide as far as you know the opioids is not the solution. It's just created a whole different set of problems. Yeah, it's such an insidious problem, just like so many of these autoimmune conditions. Addiction is a disease. And if we treat it like that, then we can understand that there's a source that's not always just someone choosing to recreate. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. And, you know, and likewise, people who need cannabis aren't doing it because they want to sit on the couch and eat bonbons. Most of these people are doing it because they just want to live a normal life. Right. It does bring that balance. And, you know, as with the naturopathic medicine, I call it unconventional because I think that we've gotten into a place in our medical vernacular where if it's not treated with a pharmaceutical, then you're not treating it. And the more people who do get into naturopathic medicine like you have, the better for all of us then maybe people will start to understand there needs to be some regulation on pesticides and on chemicals like Roundup, glyphosate. And in the schools, we don't need to teach that there are only three food groups we should be choosing from. You know, I think that the food pyramid needs to be put upside down so that, you know, you've got your vegetables at the very top. And it's just a matter of education. Definitely education because... Like I said, when I had gone to the gastrointestinal doc to talk about, hey, what can we do as far as diet is concerned? That was not a conversation he was ready to have or wanted to have. You know, unfortunately in his system, the conventional model, that is not something that they are taught on because they, they don't have room for it. And that's the other reason why everything's broken up into systems. You know, it's great to have specialists, but it's also important to have a knowledge base of putting it all together and understanding, you know, what is it that we're missing? We can't just focus on just the cardiovascular system when there's other systems involved as well. And so conventional model has to be changed uh, because food is our existence, what we need to live as a person. And so shouldn't we all know about that? Just like we all learned anatomy, you know, because it's the basics of you know becoming a physician. And so definitely the conventional model needs to start making radical changes on accepting that there's more than just the pharmaceutical. I couldn't agree more. And the other thing that I found so shocking is that still with all we know and with the 20 some odd thousand studies on cannabis, the endocannabinoid system is not addressed in most medical schools. It's astonishing to me. That and nutrition. Of course, also the thing that I think gets too little attention is toxic contaminants in the environment. And yes, 
You know, I mean, it's not just about climate change. I think just in terms of the general pollutants, things that are in our water that can't be filtered out, microscopic toxins that are just there now because of the dumping of, you know, pollutants from industry and, uh, yeah. It affects us significantly over half because oftentimes where there's just some of these unexplained neurological conditions going on, I start thinking, well, let's look at your environment. What do you do for an occupation? You know, what are you being exposed to on a regular basis that you may think is normal and it's not because now your body is then taking on all these toxins, you know? And so that's always an important piece to address. And it is something that the naturopathic physician believes and understands because it's usually our passion that kind of leads us But yes, environmental medicine, I think, needs to also be addressed. Yeah, and what we're putting on our skin, too, because people don't realize that it's the largest organ and the most important (laughs) because it prevents us from being exposed to everything. And that's one of the reasons I just find cannabis medicine to be so fascinating. And I'm a big believer that it is transforming the field of medicine. Once we lose these barriers to access, I think we're going to see a lot more healthy people out there. Anyway, uh, well, any last thoughts? The only thing that I would say is start paying attention to your diet, read ingredients um, on foods that you're purchasing, and see how it also starts playing into your overall health. Oftentimes, pay attention to the little symptoms that you may think are normal, like that mild little headache that you're constantly having. It's usually a sign that your body's not happy with something. And then as for cannabis, any last words? It is something that can address multiple conditions. So it's not just, you know, focusing on right now IBD. So any condition that you're just having a hard time finding a solution more than likely, if you try cannabis, it's going to help. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for joining me. Great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is time to bring yet another show to a close. I wanted to invite everyone to join me this week for a webinar with three renowned scientists from Israel, Hungary, and the U.S., and I'll be posting information about that on our events page. The webinar is being presented by SciTex, and it's going to be moderated by yours truly. That's right. I'll be moderating, and I'll have all of the information up on our website, along with other events you might be interested in, including... Another one coming up, the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo, where I'll be speaking on a hemp panel. I also wanted to let you know that we're working on providing a list of cannabis friends and foes to help inform voters before the upcoming election. It's a big job, so we're looking for volunteers to call candidates from their own states to find out whether or not they support cannabis law reform. Please visit us on Facebook if you'd like to participate, and we could certainly use your help. So once again, I would like to personally thank my guests, Josh Feld and Dr. Carmel Ferreira for sharing their insights and knowledge about Crohn's disease with us today. If you'd like to learn more about them and the work they're doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com, click podcast to find the archive of today's show, and there you will find bios along with contact information and links to their websites. We have so much gratitude for all of our partners and sponsors like Canisphere Biotech, Health Terra, and Tree Free Hemp. 
for their support of the educational work that we're doing. I'd also like to thank our producers and team here at the Cannabis Reporter for making us shine, and our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Everybody's calling.